Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How you doing, Ace? Hello there. How you doing, mate? You okay? And welcome all to a chapter of my life with author, Mr. Colin Abbott. How's things? I want to get into the book, 150 years, well, the first 150 years, but it's happy birthday, Aston Villa, 146 years old today. Where's the four years gone? I have no idea. (laughs) What a... What I am interested in, I would, I would love to know where this 21st of November has derived from being the founding date of Aston Villa, because in my times of researching it, I've never, ever been able to establish it. I've never, ever been able to establish that date. Now, I went on to um, the official Aston Villa, um, well, again, Wikipedia, and just because it's on Wikipedia doesn't mean to say that it's correct. But it does say on there that it is the 21st of November. Now, I think you're right, because to all intents and purposes and for all historians and anybody that's researched, all it really says is Aston Villa were formed in 1875, uh, 1874, early in 1874. And it was under a gas lamp. And it yes. was by four members of a Bible club. From That's the Wesleyan right. Church. Right. Well, just, just going back slightly, you mentioned about Wikipedia. Yep. I actually I actually know that on Wikipedia, it has the four founder members as a, a certain Jack Hughes, who is known in Villa history as the first goal scorer for the club. Yep. And the other three members was a, a William Scattergood, yep. a George Matthews and a William Price. Yep. Now, unless Wikipedia has been updated, I think if I think you'll find if you go and look on there, William Price is down as Walter Price. Yep. And George Matthews, who was 100 percent a George Matthews, is actually is actually down as a Frederick Matthews. Yep. So unfortunately, Wikipedia have got two of the founder members of the four wrong. And they may even have the date wrong, but we're all in acceptance that the year that Aston Villa were formed and founded was, in fact, 1874. That's correct, isn't it? That part, yeah, I would, I would, I would put my life on that one, 1874. Now, in researching this book, yeah. I did find that... People claim that, that that gas lamp meeting of these four lads occurred as early as February 1874. Yeah. I've seen a March 74. Yeah, I've actually seen 1875. Yeah. Now, we do know that, I'm saying we know, I've got all the books that ever come out on Aston Villa and 
you read stuff and it just imprints. And I think I think everyone's in agreement that our very very first game was against Aston Brook St Mary's. Yeah. Unfortunately, they were a rugby playing team. Yeah. And so the story goes, the Villa played them. The game took place in Wilson Road at the top of Trinity Road. Now, just the other side of where the Walsall A34 cuts through. Wilson Road was is situated up there. The game took place there against this rugby 15-a-side game. It was 0-0 at half-time. And Jack Hughes scored the only goal in the second half when it was played under the football rules, in, you know, in preference to the rugby rules. Yeah. So the Villa won their first game 1-0. Now, I've actually seen, written down, where that game was supposedly taking place in the March or the spring of 1875. Yeah. Now, while I was researching this book, I remember coming across an article which totally dispelled that theory. I was straight on the phone to the publisher and I said, I've, I've, found, I've found some gold dust here. And I'd found a match report from a, a game that, because the rugby game was the first game, this this other game that I'd found the match report to had to have only been played after the rugby match. Yeah. And that took place in the first week of January 1875. Yeah. So the that rugby game did not occur in 1875. So, yeah... I would put it down that the Villa played their first game in 1874, the year that they were founded by these lads who went to a Bible class, played cricket and wanted to find some form of recreation to keep fit outside of the cricketing months. They did toy with the idea they went and watched a rugby match, but it wasn't to their liking. And at the same time, football was gradually on the increase in the Midlands area, whereas it was an absolute hotbed in the Sheffield area and also the London area, but mostly around the public school factions. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. How long did it take you to research and put this book together? And as I said, how come it's the first 150 years, Carl? Well... The the Legends Publishing is run by a fantastic fella called Dave Lane. Yeah. He approached me a few years ago to ask if I would do a book on the 70s. Mm-hmm. He'd been given my details by a, a lad called Ricardo Rossi, who lives in Italy of all places. Right. And he had bought the few books that I had done before Legends Publishing came on board. Yeah. This lad had liked what I'd written. He mentioned to Legends Publishing that there was somebody there that writes books on Aston Villa. Dave Lane got in touch. We did the 70s book. He wanted the 80s book doing because the 70s was a, a, a good, was a success. And then not long after sort of delving into the 80s, he suggested about doing Aston Villa's centenary. We couldn't, we couldn't do nearly 150 years of Aston Villa. Yeah. We wanted to do something prior to 2024, and it was such a large undertaking, we came up with the idea of spreading it over two 75-year volumes. So this one that is sitting here now is covering 
the first 75 years from 1874 up till the 1948 to 49 season. Yep. The second volume, which has already started being put together, will come out round about the September October time of 2024 to coincide with the exact gotcha. 150th year. Gotcha. So this book, the first 150 years of Aston Villa Football Club, is in two books. Your first yes. part of the book is out now, which is a book in its own right. And the second part will come out to commemorate the 150th year. So that's why it's the first 150 years of Aston Villa Football Club. That's correct. Fantastic. Yes. Fantastic. Carl, what other books you referenced other books that, that you've you've written about Aston Villa? How many have you written to date about this wonderful football club? This is this 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 hundred and fifty year one, that's the fifth. Yeah. I did uh, I became good friends with Nigel Sims. Great goalkeeper. The old villa goalkeeper. He mm. was my he was my father's favourite ever goalkeeper. Yeah. My my dad's a big villa fan. Just just going back very, very slightly. Um, I'm a I'm a fourth generation Villa fan. I can remember sitting on my granddad's lap. He was he was a he was a staunch Aston Villa uh, man. He he saw them lift the cup in 1913 when we were led by Joe Beish. Right. He watched the Villa win the cup uh, win the league championship in 1910. Uh, he was great friends with Frank Moss, the the Villa legend who captained us uh, 1905. Sorry. Uh, wasn't 1905 I'm getting mixed up don't worry about it it was it, a long time ago pal yes it was and it you've, was. Had, you've had a Howard, lot of legends I think it was Howard Spencer yeah. 05 Frank Moss was later yeah uh, but he was great friends with Frank Moss who actually kept a pub in Worcester not far from where I live and uh, like I say he was a big Villa fan and I can remember as a very small child sitting there listening to the stories of the 57 Cup winning side and Sailor Brown and Mush Callahan and Talbot and Tate and Gibson. You know, it was just it was just claret and blue conversation yeah. right the way through. And my dad was he went to his first game when the Villa was in the second division back in the 37 to 38 season. I think it was. I think, Yeah, we went down in 36 to 7. Now, Jimmy Hogan was the manager in those days, and Jimmy got a great team together at Aston Villa, and he right brought them back up, didn't he? Yeah, Jim, Jimmy. Jimmy's a big name in the in the club, an absolute legend. I think that there should be a statue of Jimmy Hogan outside every football ground in this country for what that for what that man did, not just for football in this country, but for association football around the world. Jimmy Jimmy Hogan without doubt, in my opinion, um, he's the greatest coach ever. Aust Austria, he was renowned everywhere Austria. he went. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, pioneer. Oh, he, he, he taught everybody in Europe to, to play football. Sadly, in England, they didn't want him, but Aston Villa did. And Fulham, I think, he only managed the two clubs, didn't he, in this, in this country? Fulham and, and, and the love of his life, Aston Villa. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, me... My dad was a, uh, my dad still is a big Villa fan. My yeah. granddad was. Uh, I remember as a child them talking about Nigel Sims, the goalkeeper. Mm -hmm. I got to meet Nigel quite a few years ago, and he wasn't in the best of 
condition. His legs were terrible yeah. through the injuries he sustained for playing for the Villa. Mm-hmm. And I suggested that he write his book. Some people had approached him to write it beforehand, but going back to the time, I had almost a... a <sighs> My memory it was like photographic, yeah. and and I was reeling off I was reeling off statistics to Nigel about his career that he'd forgotten most of them. Yeah. So we wrote his book. It it did okay for. Him. On the back of that, I did seventh heaven about Aston Villa winning the cup in '57 for the seventh time. Yeah. Um, I did a book about. Aston Villa's time in the third division. You could say that it was a grim time for the club, yet it's one of the most fondly remembered eras. Mm-hmm. When you talk to Villa fans, they were they were going up and down the country to, to new outposts. Villa were taking an army of supporters. They were winning most of their games in the at the start of the first season in 70 to 1, they were doing well. The Rails the wheels fell off slightly in the second half after they'd been to the League Cup final where they outplayed Tottenham Hotspur in yeah. the final. They never got their momentum back after that. But 71-2, they, those Brighton and Bournemouth, they just took the league by the scruff of the neck and the Villa the Villa came up as champions, mm-hmm. record points, went into the, got up into the second division and we, we just showed back-to-back promotions. We finished third at a time when Sod's Law, it was just the top two went up. So they were desperately unlucky with those ones. Yeah. How, how long did it take you to do all the research and the, put this book together? This, this 151? Yeah. Uh, well, I've been, I've, I've spent a long time jotting down, uh, researching for my own interests, I suppose. Yeah. Because going back, I was born in Worcester, the whole side of my father's family of Villa fans, but as a young child, I was actually taken away from Worcester to the northeast. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, my father moved up to the northeast for for work. That's where my mother came from. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting it's it's to this day, it's the greatest book I've ever had, and it was Peter Morris's Hundred Years of Aston Villa. Yeah, it's a softback book. I got that for Christmas as a 10-year-old mm-hmm. and I disappeared off up to my room and I, excuse me, I read it from cover to cover and as soon as I finished it, I started it again. And just looking at, there's still things now I can I can, I can remember seeing Archie Hunter's huge gravestone. It looked like a tower block. This great big memorial to this fellow who, one of our most famous captains. He he captained us for our first FA Cup win. You know, the, the, he was just larger than life. Mm-hmm. And then that book, just just seeing the name, just seeing the faces to the names that I heard my granddad and my dad talking about. All these all these wonderful names from the past. But then later on, from the fifties onwards, we you had. You had Peter Mac. I can still I can still picture Peter MacParlane's picture in this book in his tracksuit. He's keeping the ball up, and then you'd have Jimmy McEwen and Ivor Powell and Harry Parks and all of these all of these gentlemen that I'd heard about. I was able to put a face to the name. Yeah. 
I we came down from the northeast for a holiday to stay with relatives in Worcester. And I remember being taken to Corporation Street and getting my very first villa shirt from Harry Parks's shop. Yeah. And we walked down the stairs in this sports shop of his. It was a two-story thing. And you walk down into the basement. And on the wall, he had all these uh, sepia photographs in the frames of the Aston Villa great teams from the the 20s and, 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 and less. You know, the, the championship winning sides of the 1800s and it it was just marvellous yeah and then Ivor Powell Ivor Powell came to Villa Park from Queen's Park Rangers my father was actually in a little cafe in Whitton Lane when Ivor came in and asked where the offices were at Villa Park my father walked him round to show him where it was Ivor popped his head in Came straight back out as my father was walking away and he shouted, don't go back, don't go away, come back and, you know, I'll be back out in five minutes. Ivor signed for the club. He came back out and he took my dad round a little tour of Villa Park into the dressing rooms <laughs> and that as a thank you. Yeah. And years later, Gabby, we, I, found, I managed to find out that Ivor was still a coach. He was the oldest coach in the world. Wow. Oldest football coach. I think he was 93 at the time. Blimey. And I got my dad in the car and we drove down and I'd made arrangements with Bath Football Club for my father to meet Ivor. Yeah. And we met him and he was just, uh, in his day, he was a big imposing character. Yeah. But obviously time had taken its toll and he was just a little wizened up old man. But his eyes just sparkled when you talked about Aston Villa. Yeah. They really did. Yeah. And And at the end, I'd taken some photographs down and I... And I said to Ivor, would you sign this to Bob? Bless him. He wrote, he wrote the number two and then Bob, like as if you're talking about <laughs> an old money. But it, it was just a magical moment. And, and, and looking through that 100-year book, you know, I, I look at it and I, and I was able to befriend the likes of Nigel Sims and, mm. and Ron Wiley and... I've had Peter McParland stay at my house for a couple of nights. Yeah. You know, th these are things that if I hadn't have chose to write about the club, none of these things would ever have happened. Yeah. And it was worth it just for that. Uh, getting back to your original question about how long it's taken to research the book, it I I had a I had two good friends on board helping me. John Russell and John Farrelly. Yeah. John Russell was actually one of the instigators back in 1968 when the board were ousted. Right. Villa fans held a protest meeting at Digbeth Civic Hall. Yeah. And the two, the two responsible for that were John Russell and a gentleman called Brian Evans. And Harry Parks came along and he actually gave these gentlemen their money back for for hiring the hall. And as a result of that, the draconian board were ousted. Yeah. Pat Matthews came in, the financier. Doug Ellis came in. They brought Tommy Doherty in. And for all Tommy wasn't the most successful manager at the Villa, he his time at Aston Villa was defining. Mm. He did say that he would get Aston Villa out the second division. He did. 
and he and he kept to his word. It wasn't quite what he expected, but you've got to give the bloke his due. He did what he said. But it, it was quite incredible, really, with, with the doc, because the doc was, was so successful with Doctors Diamonds at, at Chelsea Football Club and, and got a group of young players playing great football. And, and he was a hop, skip and a jump away from really developing something fantastic in West London, just off the King's Road there. And moving to Birmingham, to Aston Villa, you know, another massive club, but well, the biggest club in the Midlands. You'd think that Tommy would get Villa out of that league and into the the big time but as you say it was reversed and then it was um it was Tommy got sacked and uh, Vic Crow uh, took the reins didn't he after Tommy is that true Vic did yes it was yeah Vic came in he got us out the third division he mm. got us to the league cup final in 71 between him and Ron Wiley well actually it, it's not fair just to stay uh, Vic and Ron Wiley You've also got to remember, behind the scenes as well, there, there was four men in charge at the Villa at the time. Yeah. Vic was the manager. Ron Wiley was his able lieutenant. You had Leo Crowther as the reserve team manager. And then you had Frank Upton that was in charge of yeah. the youngsters. Mm-hmm. And and through Frank Upton, the Villa won the FA Youth Cup yes. in 72 and they beat Liverpool. And that was a third division club had never won it. And you knocked out Birmingham City as well. Yes, we did. In the <laughs> early round. Brian Little was, was telling me all about those days. And it was Frank that turned Brian into an inside forward. Yeah. Yeah. Huge crowds in them, you know, for those... Uh, huge crowds for those... Oh, without a doubt. Youth Cup matches. Yeah, I mean, them two, Birmingham City and Aston Villa, I think, combined, there was over 50,000 watching was, that in the Youth Cup game. It was game. crazy. Yeah. It was absolutely crazy, the, the crowds that came out. But brilliant, brilliant times them seventies them were, and as you say, Vic and his backroom staff were developing some good young players. That you're right, they did win that league, that 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 youth cup. They then lots of them got integrated into the first team, and. You know, when people say, how did that rebirth happen? I think there's there's an awful lot of factors that, that click into place. And I think that lots of things did click into place during those early 70 years that really, that really made Villa champions of Europe probably 10 years or so on from that. What was your favourite decade in the, in your research of Aston Villa and your love of Aston Villa? Because you researching and writing this book, clearly speaking to, to you, Cole, the books that you've written before, Aston Villa is, is steeped in your blood and your history. So it's probably second nature for you to write something like what you've written. Um, well, I, uh, like I say, I, I was sort of taken up to the northeast as a yeah. child I, and I, I didn't have a particularly good time of it because following Aston Villa and having a southern accent <laughs> you know it was totally different to the natives and it, it did not go down well and I used to I used to sort of keep myself isolated and I used to spend all my time growing up just absorbing material on Aston Villa wherever I found it yeah I would just I would just soak it up like a sponge and uh, it was it was such a huge part of my life following Aston Villa. Yeah, it it, it meant everything to me as a child, and, and you know it it still does now. And 
that hundred year book that I referred to earlier, as a ten year old opening that, I I didn't open anything else after I'd opened that. Yeah. I had a sneaky feeling that I was getting that, and when I opened it, I didn't want anything else, and I just off I went and I read it, and I finished it and I read it again and again and again and again. If somebody had told me back in that time that a hundred and fifty year book of Aston Villa would be coming out, yeah. and I would be a, 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 just a small part of it. Yeah, you know that to me would have been like signing for Aston Villa Football Club and playing for them. Yeah. Honestly, it, it it would have it would have been that special and that and that important and overwhelming to to be just just to have my name against something because as unique as what we have created, it's taken John Russell, who I mentioned earlier, he has spent the last three decades researching Aston Villa. Yeah. He has gone through newspaper archives. He's, it's it's taken him all around the country. Every time Aston Villa's name's been mentioned in a paper, he has written it down. Now, unfortunately, when it came to going through the notes, <coughs> a lot of the times the dates weren't there and the source of the information wasn't there. Yeah. Because you've got to be very careful. It's all right to put information down, but you leave yourself wide open if you don't uh, stipulate where that source came from. Yes. You're totally open to all sorts of abuse. Yeah. So you have to make sure that what you've got is watertight. Mm -hmm. Now, I have found, I've got to be very careful what I say to you about the book because I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it for people who have, have bought it. No, we don't want to spoil anything, Carl. What we want people to do is buy it. And for ones that haven't bought it so far, is it pictures and writing? Is it a, a history? Is it, does it focus on certain players or is it just the narrative telling the story of Aston Villa and most importantly Cole where can we buy the book how are you selling it because it must be with Christmas coming up the number one gift for any Aston Villa supporter it surely must right well firstly it can be purchased through Legends Publishing yep that's Legends Publishing I think it's legendspublishing.net yep forward slash av 150 yeah the book itself i can go into my study now and i can pick a dozen different books out on villa history yeah and you can read them all and you will not learn anything new they might be all put down very slightly different yeah but the billy walkers is still the billy walkers and the howard spencers is still the same and and the Pongo Wearings and the Harry Hamptons, it's it's all there and it's all, you, you're not learning anything new. What I wanted to do with this one is the same as what I did with all my previous books. I wanted to, I wanted to find the, the, the bits and pieces out that I had never come across. Yeah. If I haven't come across it, there's a good chance other people haven't. Yeah. And we managed to unearth stuff. Uh, we mentioned about a train crash involving Aston Villa fans. And we put this out back in about April time when the when the book was gathering momentum and it was, you know, not long off going to the printers. And we had somebody on one of the social media sites saying that he works for British Rail years ago. He carried out a study that was funded by the railway about... Uh, train incidents and what have you and he said this one was totally new to him yeah and then there's a 
we found another article that took place in Scotland. It's it's there is a, a huge Aston Villa thread through it, and it caused multiple deaths. Yeah. And I remember when I when I found the piece. I remember at the back of my mind having come across this piece 20 or 30 years previous and I'd forgotten about it. Yeah. So what we wanted to do, the book is, the book has been put together in a, a year by year, yeah. uh, like a chronological order. Yeah. It goes from year to year. Obviously the, the introduction goes from the very early years and then we pick up the year to year from 1877 to, sorry, 1876 to 1877. So the Villa were two years old by then. Got you. George Ramsey's just come on board. He, to me, he's he's Mr. Aston Villa above everybody else, George mm -hmm. Ramsey. If it wasn't for him, Aston, he, he put Aston Villa on the pathway to, to, to greatness. Mm -hmm. No two ways. The bloke was an absolute genius. Where would you put William McGregor? William McGregor, he he was he was huge for us. Yeah, he was huge for us. He, uh, as you know, he was the he Founder. was the founding yeah. he was the father of the the football league. Yeah, you know you you can't you can't take that away from him. Mm -hmm. uh, but he was our vice president very very early on. And he, he remained there for something like 15 or 16 years. Yeah. And then he became a chairman. So between George Ramsey being our, our you know, our captain fantastic, mm -hmm. he was our captain until Archie Hunter took that mantle from him. George Ramsey then, you know, once he'd packed up playing, George Ramsey, he came on the board as a secretary. You had hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Like Sir William McGregor, George Ramsey, you had Fred Rinder as a director. The three of those, uh, they're just woven so tightly into the Aston Villa fabric. Yes. You just, you just can't. You, you can't mention one in, without mentioning the others in the same breath, so to speak. Now, your lion, is it the, 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 the lion that William McGregor brought down from Scotland, the Rangers lion? It's the rampant lion from Scotland, yes. Yeah, daughter. And also, as well, I've been doing a little bit of research myself. 
was the original colour, because Villa in the very, very early days played in a number of different kits. But the first original kit was the first colour chocolate and then changed to claret. They did have a chocolate, uh, they did have a chocolate uh, mm. half and half shirt. Yeah, yeah. But the first one was black. That's right, yeah. And then you played in green as well, didn't you? We've we've had all sorts. Yeah. We've had hoops. Yeah. We've had stripes. Yeah. And uh, that black one with the rampant lion. Funny enough, the lion initially used to face to the right. Right. Okay. And they used to take it off. They used to have to take it off to wash them. And then William McGregor's sister was a seamstress. She used to, she had the job of putting them back on. Because he sold the first load of shirts, didn't he, William McGregor? Is the, the players used to moan about the price of them. Yeah, yeah. And they used to moan about the size of the lions on the shirts. One of them said it was the size of a dinner plate. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, the, the, the book. It's it's half and half of text. Yep. Very informative. Like I say, we didn't want to do the conventional history book. Yes. We, we obviously can't leave out the... The big part of Aston Villa when they when they won the titles, when they won their cups. What a lot of people don't realise is mm-hmm. back in the back in the eighteen hundreds, that's when we won most of our league championships. Yeah. It was uh, ninety four, ninety six, seven when we won the double, ninety nine, nineteen hundred. Yeah. But what people don't realise is we were actually runners up in. Uh, 89, yeah. 03, it was 08, 08 or 08, 09 season. Then we won the title in 1910, and then we were also runners up the following year, and we was runners up two years after that. In that so, FA Cup final that you played against Sunderland in yeah. 1913. Both both clubs actually could have won the double, couldn't they, that season? Because you won the FA Cup and Sunderland won the uh, won the league. They did, but that's not the first time we've denied a team the double. What was the first time? 1905. Who was that against? Newcastle United. Them jo- no, one of them Geordies don't like you, Carl, when you went up there. <laughs> well, we, we beat Newcastle in 05 when Harry Hampton scored both the goals. Gotcha. And... I read somewhere that Newcastle were hot favourites to win that year, and yeah. they didn't because we beat them. And one of the Newcastle players, I can't remember which one he is, but he actually threw his medal out the window of the train as it crossed the River Tyne. Bad losers. Yeah. <laughs> and then in 1924, when Newcastle United beat us, yeah, they the the week before they, I think it was the it was the it was the last game before they played in that final. They came to Villa Park and I think we beat them six one. Yeah. But Newcastle United played an entirely different side. It was like all reserves. All right. And the football league actually fined Newcastle United for what they'd done. It was like, it was deemed as real poor sportsmanship. Yeah. And we should have won the cup final in twenty four. We had chances in the first half that we just didn't take. And unfortunately, it come back to bite us because Newcastle scored two, you know, two later goals. And uh, and that was the end of it. 
The 1930-31 season is a remarkable season as well. The year that Pongo Waring scored 49 league goals and won in the FA Cup to, to give him 50 in total for a season. And also Aston Villa, 128 goals that season. Still a top uh, record, isn't it, to this day? We were one more than Arsenal. We scored one goal more than those. <laughs> but but they won the they won the title above us. And you've done them at Villa Park five one as well. How many times have we done that? <laughs> How yes. many times have we done that? Yeah. Players well, before Arsenal came to their prominent, you know, Arsenal were the prominent team in the third. Oh, tell me about it, Herbert Chapman. Yeah, they won it a couple of times. I think they I think they won it twice with the. I think in the middle of that, they were runners-up. Mm. But prior to that, Huddersfield Town... With, again, Herbert Chapman. Yeah, Huddersfield Town won three, ti- yeah. three titles back-to-back. Herbert was and the first one that, to win them with two different clubs, wasn't he? Yes. Mm. But Huddersfield won it three times on the trot. Yeah. And then they also, I think for about four years, I think they... I don't think they finished out the side of the top three. Yeah. Now, prior to that... There's actually a book out called Aston Villa, the world's first super club. And, right. and Aston Villa were talked about back in that time, you know, before the 1930s, Aston Villa, especially more so the late 1800s, mm-hmm. up to, say, the late, you know, 1915-ish. Yeah. Aston Villa were, were really the world's biggest club in the world, the, the world's biggest club. Mm-hmm. Then Huddersfield, because... It didn't matter if you were top in Britain or England, I should say. You were top. You were the biggest in the world. You were, yeah. Because this is where the football originated. Of course it was, yeah. And so Villa had their time, then Huddersfield Town. A lot of kids nowadays, you, you would mention Huddersfield and they, they wouldn't believe it. No, no. Huddersfield were huge. And then Arsenal took that mantle. Well, Arsenal is still big now. Uh, I, I just wish Villa... I just wish, wish Aston Villa were talked about in the same breath as the London clubs and the North West clubs because I, I think it's just a tiny bit unfair that we just don't get the rub of the green like they do. I think the Midlands clubs have always had that situation because I think the press have always been Southern and North West. But am I right in my belief that Aston Villa have scored more goals in the FA Cup than anybody else and more goals in the League Cup than anybody else? You know, and a, a tremendous history of, of seven championships, seven FA Cups, five League Cups, one European Cup and a Super Cup. Now, that ain't bad from starting out in 1874 and moving to Villa Park in 1897. Let's talk about Pongo Waring briefly. I mean, what a player. Scored over 200 goals in 12 seasons for five different clubs and named after a famous cartoon character. But he was a character in his own right, wasn't he, Pongo? Yeah, and unfortunately, it was right about his nickname. <laughs> was it really? <laughs> yes, it was. I have that on good authority. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't. Uh, he didn't like to shower. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he wasn't very well acquainted with the bars of soap. <laughs> but um, what, what, I, what I should have mentioned yeah. was John Farrelly. This this book, as well as the text and the research that's gone into it, John Farrelly, the other lad that's part of this, yeah. has got a an absolutely phenomenal collection of medals, ephemera, uh, you know, photographs, you name it. John John's got it, and 
it's just it was actually John that told me about the Pongo yeah the Pongo uh, moniker and that it that it was correct. So is John going to put all these photos in a in a book or you know I mean football fans are fantastic they they just so indulge in their football club and and they have absolutely everything whether it be text whether it be video whether it be photographs and there's just so much history in all football clubs and no greater history than Aston Villa and you know there is a National Football Museum, but I don't think there's a, a museum at Villa Park for all the memorabilia, and, and perhaps that would be a good idea if, if there was one. Well, there should be, definitely. Yeah. And I'm not going to name names, but at one stage in the past, I, there's, a, there's a huge collector out there called Neville Evans. Okay. And when I was putting Nigel Sims' book together, I found out that he had... He had all of Nigel's collection, right? Uh, among others, you, you you think of the the big players, and there's every chance Neville's got that collection. Wow. He's, he's 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 just he's on a different scale to everybody else. Wow. Now I was able to get in touch with him and tell him that there was a collection. I think it was Alec Leake's medals coming up for auction, and he wasn't aware of it, and. I got into he was actually on a business trip to Germany, but I told somebody that's high up at his factory in Wales about this medal collection. I said, you really need to get this message to Neville. He did so. As a result of it, Neville bought the collection of medals that he wanted. He, he bought Alex League's medals, but he, he kept them all together, you know, the, yeah. even the, the, the lesser important cups that Alex won. And... He did say to me at one stage, he said, if ever you need anything, if the Villa put up a museum, yeah. he said, I'll gladly, I'll gladly let them borrow stuff. Yeah. And I got in touch with the powers to be at Villa Park and there was no interest mm. in doing a museum. And I, for one, I felt a bit disappointed because we were one of the founders, we were one of 12 that found that league yeah. and Aston Villa's history is it's as strong as anybody's. When we went down in to the third division in 69 to 70, we were actually the most decorated club yeah. in the, in, mm. in the country. Yeah. And yet we, we had dropped to the third division and we came back from that. We, we got promoted at Mansfield in 72 more or less ten years to the day, Gabby, that we we yeah. drew at Mansfield to get out that third division. We were actually playing in Anderlecht in a European Cup semi final. Yeah. Now, people talk about Wimbledon's prominent rise and then the FA Cup win, but on a scale of things, I think coming out the third division and a decade later winning the European Cup, to me, that's like that's like Roy of the Rovers stuff. I think it, it's it's another book there as well, Carl. If I'm absolutely honest, Johnny Johnny Dixon, how how fantastic was Johnny? You've referenced Peter McParland, who Big Ron had put in his all time Aston Villa eleven, and Eric Houghton, the manager of uh, of the cup winning team back in '57, also played cricket for Warwickshire and uh, played football for uh, for Villa during those uh, those thirty years. Um, 
Eric was a legend. He should have been a sir. Oh, hundred percent. And and in that that year that Pongo Waring scored scored the forty nine goals, Eric scored Eric scored thirty as well. Many people yeah. many people look at or looked at Eric Houghton and gave him the moniker as well, didn't they? Of Mister Aston Villa, who was so in, instrumental in the Aston Villa Football Club, wasn't he, Eric? Oh, definitely. I've, I've I've been lucky enough to go to Eric Houghton's son's house. Yeah. When I was researching the fifty-seven book, mm-hmm. I was I was fortunate enough to go to 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 Neil Houghton's house. Neil used to be the chief executive of Warwickshire Cricket Club. Oh, okay. So he's a you know he's prominent in his mm-hmm. own right, but. He bought his father's collection out, and you see little telegrams and that, you know, instructing the player to go here or there to play for England, or yeah. he has to be at Villa Park for such a time. You're looking at little pieces of history, mm. absolutely breathtaking. And you mentioned Johnny Dixon. When I lived in the northeast, I was aware that Johnny Dixon had played for Spennymoor United. Right, okay. <laughs> and Spennymoor United, Spennymoor was just up the road. I used to live at a place just about nine miles from where Brian Little was manager at Darlington yeah. back in the time. Yeah. I used to live just, just up the road at a place called Newton Aycliffe. There's, there's, there's not a great deal you can say about Newton Aycliffe. I didn't like the place. It was, it was 183 miles from Villa Park for start. <laughs> but whenever I used to go to Spennymoor, if I went past the ground, I always used to look over and... And I'm thinking, wow, Johnny Dixon walked these paths. Yeah. And it was just, just just to be somewhere where you knew that somebody of that magnitude had been before. It's it's weird. Yeah. I, 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 I don't I, think like other people. No, I absolutely understand where you're coming from. Because, I mean, I am a football fan. I love football. I don't class myself as a fan of any club these days. I like to watch football being played. And I love... I love watching football as it should be played. And I love the history. I love talking to people about their love of the game. Who would you who would you have as your five most influential people of Aston Villa Football Club? Oof. Of, of if, people. Yeah, if I'm gonna tie you down and you, I'll give you six. I'll give you six, Carl. I say, who's your uh. you've researched everything. I mean, you guys know everything about Villa. You've got got Claret and Blue blood running through your uh, your body. For the for the young Villa supporters that don't know, because sadly, lots of people know what's going on today, but don't know much about the history. Who would you put down as your six most you know important what? Villa people? What, what a struggle! If you'd have said name your top sixty six, I'd have struggled <laughs> because you've got to leave people out. Of course, you have, but. Because, because I'm so involved in the in the the olden times yep. and, and the formation of the villa, George Ramsey coming down the the part that he played yep. in starting Aston Villa on this path he he has to be mentioned. Yep. Uh, Harry Hampton and sold to Birmingham City. Harry Hampton, yeah, and mm-hmm. Harry and Billy Walker. There's. You can't really mention one without the other. Yep. Billy scored 244 goals. Yep. Harry scored 242. What's yep. and yet Harry scored one league goal more than Billy. Yes, he did. Yeah. It's you know there's those two. You, you mentioned Pongo. And his name wasn't Harry, was it? it was Joseph? It was Joseph. <laughs> Joseph Harry Hampton. Yep. He he actually came from Wellington. Yeah. Up in up in Telford. That's right. Yeah. 
Now, my wife's from Telford, and every time I go somewhere where there's been a Villa player come from, I have to start digging around. We went up to, I have a son who lives in Scotland, and the one day the wife wanted to go up to see a Highland game. She'd never seen one before. So we drove to the back of beyond, and this, I'm not sure if it was Dunblane. Right. This this Highland Games was there was a brass band come marching on and it was something and Blair Gowrie brass band and straight away in my head I'm thinking Blair Gowrie that's where Jake Finley come from the Villa goalkeeper so I'm going and badgering the older members of this brass band to remember to see if they remembered the Finley family from Blair Gowrie and Cacoldi I see the signs signs for Cacoldi and you think of Ken McNaught and. I just can't help it. I if I, if I go somewhere and I see a name and it jumps out, yeah. Clem Stevenson. I used to I used to do a bit of running in the northeast, and if I used to do the Blythe Sands race, Clem Stevenson come from Blythe, yeah. and it was just you just cannot get away from this sort of fixation of Aston Villa. Unfortunately, <laughs> those top six players. I said Ram. I keep digressing. I'm sorry. But, I'm loving it. Absolutely loving it, mate. You crack on. I'd have Ramsey. I'd have Billy Walker and Harry Hampton, yeah. just because they're the two Villa's leading goal scorers. Yeah. <sighs> oh, God. I, I could name the entire 57 side, but yeah. I can't. So, I mean, I can I can reel them off back to front, inside out, but, I mean, I can't include them all. I was lucky enough to to go and see Stan Crowder for the last seven years he was alive. Mm. I used to go and see him regularly, and the stories he told me were absolutely fantastic. Uh, I had Peter come and stay here. I had Nigel Sims staying here. I used to go and see Jackie Saw regularly. Uh, yeah. the, you know, Jackie told me this story, how when he became the world's most expensive player... <laughs> yeah. He'd gone back to his digs and his landlady had got the champagne out and he's like, what's going on? She says, you're the world's most expensive player. He didn't even know that he'd been sold from Notts County to Sheffield Wednesday. Happy days. Ka-ching. That's how, (laughs) yeah, that's how it was. Yeah, it was, yeah. Johnny Johnny Dixon, Peter McParlane, Nigel Sims, they they all... They all deserve to be in that top six. Mm. And and later on, when I when I I saw my first Villa game in '72, it was a League Cup tie in Nottingham where we were living, and Alan Evans was in place of the injured Andy Lockhead. Yeah. Alan Evans, the lad who just come from Liverpool. Alan. Alan Evans. Yes, yeah, not yeah. Alan the Scot. Alan who played for Liverpool and then he, he transferred to Wolverhampton Wonders, didn't he? After he, he came from Wolves to Liverpool. Oh, I'm sorry. Right, yeah. Hundred thousand. He was the fir- world's first hundred thousand pound teenager, and then he came to the Villa for I think it was about seventy thousand. Right. And he scored. He scored the only goal in the first live game that I went to. The Villa. The Villa played in yellow that that year. Yeah. And. For for years and years he was well he he still is a hot idol of mine and I and I see him a couple of times a year his his mother lives in Kidderminster oh, and Paul Allen lives in Australia I go and see him regularly the last time I went to see him he slung this badge at me he says hey you can have this and it was his blazer badge from the 1975 League Cup final and then leading on to that when the Villa won the League Cup in 75 I just turned I just turned 11 the day before on the 28th of February. 
Villa beat Norwich on the 1st of March when Ray Graydon scored that penalty. Yeah. And I stood there and there was tears just rolling down my cheeks. It was just such a... My club had won a big trophy at Wembley Stadium. And I, I cried my eyes out. And a couple of days later, I remember thinking, if ever I get married and have children, I'm going to name... I'm going to name my son Graydon. And it happened. Oh, lovely. I've got a son who was born in 1990, and he's he's called Graydon <laughs> Daly Abbott. <laughs> he's named after great Ray Graydon, who has to be on that top six. Yes, he, he was a be. great winger, wasn't he? I though? absolutely love the bloke. Mm. And then Tony Daly was his middle name. The wife wouldn't go with Aston or Villa <laughs> or Holt. So... How did Villa get to be... Next to Aston in in the name because when I mean, we have cities, obviously Villa wasn't a city in them days. But you got towns, you've got um, Alexander. There's, there's lots of different yeah well, company names. How come Villa? No one's ever used that apart from Palsall. Well, we were. It was named after a, a very prominent house in the area, the Aston Villa. Right. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Uh, that's it, not Aston Hall, is it? That is that's no, boy. no 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 no. <laughs> Aston Villa was a, a huge house on the western edge, I think, of what was known as Aston Manor. Wow. And it was inside of both Aston Park and Aston Hall. Oh, right. That's where the names derived from. Blimey, I didn't know that. And the colours yeah, yeah. of claret and blue, was that the, you know, is, does that come from the, the Royal Hoosiers or something? Or how did the, the claret and blue come about? <laughs> I'm not sure if the claret came from the heart of Midlothian side. Right, okay. When George, when William McGregor, George, when William McGregor came down. Right, okay. Because uh, there was there was a lot of Scottish influence, yeah, you know, there was, yeah. Badge, yeah. and then yeah, yeah. Then the villa, the villa were kept trying their hand against Queens Park, who were by far the best club in the country. Got to the cup finals, didn't they, uh, Queens Park? Because the Scots used to play in the FA Cup. Yeah, and the last Scottish side to ever play in the FA Cup was Rangers when we beat them in the semi-final. Right, what year was that? But it wasn't actually Rangers. It was, what it was, the Scottish basically selected the best team they could Typical. of all the, of all the players, <laughs> and they sent them down under the guise of, of Rangers. Now, I'm not sure if that was 05 or 13. I don't think, and I think the game was played at Crewe. Right. Uh, uh, I, I'm not sure if it was 05. Yeah. I don't, you know, we played Newcastle, we beat Newcastle then. I don't, all, it, wasn't, it wasn't 05, it was before that. And also as well, how come, I mean, obviously geographically it makes sense, but how come Aston Villa, uh, Villa Park was, was, was so prominent in FA Cup semi-finals? And I think, has it been 55 semi-finals being housed at Villa Park? I don't know. I don't know what mm. the figure is now, Gabby. If it's if it's not Aston Villa, it, it's never really caught my interest. <laughs> uh, at one stage, Aston Villa's their ground had held more semi. Well, I think it still has held more semi-finals than anybody else. Yeah, yeah, it has. I'm sure it has. Yeah. I'm I'm still trying to think what the which which semi-final the Rangers. Which, which semi-final the Rangers game was. Because they used to, and the Irish used to be in there as well. So we had England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales in the uh, in the FA Cup. And famously, um, 
Cardiff are the only ones that's ever taken it out of England. And let's be honest, the only ones that are ever going to likely to have taken it out yeah, of England. Yeah, it won't happen in our lifetime. <laughs> and and for your centenary um, Rangers, where we're on the, uh, the the reference of Rangers, they were invited in uh, 1974 to partake in the centenary celebrations. And do me, that wasn't the best of ideas, was it? That's in in what year? Sorry, it was uh, nineteen seventy four, wasn't it? The uh, Rangers come down to. Uh, I thought com- that's what you said. The century. No, no, no. Uh, for our centenary year, we yeah, played yeah. United, and it was it was actually at a time when Brian Clough was in charge. Oh right. When, when what did Rangers come down for then in the seventies? Right, that Rangers game. It was because Aston Villa had a free weekend. Right, okay. I, I always thought it was a centenary. No, 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 no. It was just a free weekend. It was in 76. Yeah. Rangers sent a side down and, as you know, the game got abandoned. That's right, yeah. Didn't it just? Right, well, here's one for you. I was going to leave this for volume two, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you this one now, right? Yep. As a, as a taster. That day that Aston Villa played Rangers, yeah. they actually could have been playing New York Cosmos. Blimey. But the game wouldn't didn't go ahead because somebody wanted a bit more money for the game to go ahead yep. than New York Cosmos were prepared to pay them. It was at a time when Villa's Charlie Aiken, the Villa's you know Villa's famous left back, he was at New York Cosmos and they were touring Europe yeah. and they were in Paris and the phone call was made saying that they could come over and play the game at Villa Park, but it it didn't happen and. It was down to it was down to money, and and I'll tell you now, it wasn't it wasn't Doug Ellis. <laughs> it was not Doug Ellis. Yeah. Yeah. I've had to just I've actually just had to quickly look up because it was it was bugging me about the Glasgow Rangers. It was actually eighteen eighty seven. Gotcha. And I knew it was played at Crew. That was one thing that I could remember. Uh, but yeah, we beat we beat Glasgow Rangers three one at Crew. And that set us up for the Albion game, our first FA Cup win. I was thinking it was later than that. Blimey. I know Glasgow was the, the last Scottish side in there, but I actually thought it was it was later than I thought it was maybe 1905, something like that, but I was wrong. Carl, it's been an absolute education, sir. Once again, let's, let's tell everybody, all the listeners, where they can get this book from, because the attention to detail in that book is just phenomenal, mate. And if I was going to have anybody writing a book about Aston Villa, it would be you. And if I owned Aston Villa Football Club, I'd be giving all you guys uh, a special part in my football club, because I think you're very, very special people. Thank you very much. You can get the book from Legends Publishing dot uh, net forward slash AV one fifty. Carl, it's been superb, and let's do something else as well. Yeah, by all means, it's been it's been a bit of a blast. That I've enjoyed it. it has, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Till next. And you, you said earlier about you, you know, you you're a football fan per se. Yes. Well, I am too. I I was fortunate enough to to put a few to get a few pieces sent up to when Alex Cropley was having his book written. Again, another, another legend. Another huge fan. Yep. And as a thank you for helping them with the book, the lad who wrote it said, next time I met my sons in Edinburgh, he was going to take us and give us a, an impromptu tour of Hibernian's Easter Road. And he did. And even though I have a great deal of interest in Hibernian Football Club, 
you go around into the inner sanctum of a club that you, even if you have no affinity to that club, yeah. you get you get right into the the nitty gritty of it, and it's it's a it's a it's an education, and it's well worth it. Every club's got its own history, and they're steeped in it, regardless whether it's your club or my club or his club. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I do know exactly what you mean because I I love football. I love I to do. listen to all the stories. Until next time, sir. Thank you so much for this wonderful trip down memory lane. And Aston Villa supporters, this must be the number one Christmas gift on Santa's list. It's the best thing I've ever ever been involved with, and I'm and I'm just hoping that the second volume comes comes close to this. Well, I'm. I'm it's I'm, a thing I'm, of beauty. I'm all. I'm already looking forward to number two, and I'm going to go and order number one, mate. You've sold it to me. Cheers, pal. Good man. All the best. Cheers, Carl. Till next time. Cheers, Gab. Ta da, pal. Bye bye. 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 Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.